and welcome to episode 63 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Well, it's a special episode, and you know it's one that I really tend to like. It's the goaltending episode. Yeah. And uh, joining us today on the episode, we'll have two guests. Um, I had a chance to catch up with Kevin Woodley from InGoal Magazine. Uh, NHL.com lives out in the Vancouver area and does a tremendous job. He's, he's probably the goalie guru, if you will. Uh, from an analyst standpoint, and looks at every goalie around the league and puts them under a microscope in slow motion. And uh, he's going to tell us everything that's going on at Ingold Magazine and Ingold Premium. Well, he's my former editor. I used to write for yeah. Ingold Magazine. And he, he does a tremendous job covering the position. So um, for those of you that either are or were a goalie, you're going to love this episode. And for those of you that never played the position, it'll give you tremendous insight on to the most important position in the game, A, and B, kind of the plight of the goaltender. So we'll get into all that with Kevin Woodley. And also uh, from NBC Sports, Brian Boucher is going to join us as well uh, for a double guest episode of the Stick to Hockey podcast. It's nice. And this is the one episode a year where we treat goalies like they're real people. Yeah, <laughs> because most of it's talking to goalies right. and, and, and members of the union, if you will. Um <laughs> But real quick, Russ, because, you know, when you when you look around the league and you look at goaltending today versus years of the past where we got into that time with Garth Snow and the uh, enormous equipment and the league has now dialed that back. And Kay Whitmore has got a sign off on every piece of equipment a goaltender wears, which is crazy that like literally guys have to wait until he's got the signature on it. And and, every goalie, every piece, that's a lot. Yeah, I actually had a picture of Carter Hart standing in the tunnel, and I found the Kay Whitmore Sharpie signature on his uh, his black set of CCM pads. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to, 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 to denote that these ones are good to go and they can be worn in an NHL game. And, I mean, that's pretty crazy when you consider how many gloves, how many blockers, yeah. chest protectors. Well, chest protector is one of those things that you never change. There, there's guys in the league that won't change a chest protector for a decade. Well, I mean, who was it? Um... Javi Bullen didn't want to change his pads ever. Oh, Archer Zerbe. Archer Zerbe had the peeling pads. Yep, and, and they were like squashed. <laughs> yeah, pads are a bit stiffer now. But when you when you look at the the goaltending in the NHL as you know in 2019 versus 10 years ago and 20 years ago, do you think uh, the, the the advent of the technical goaltenders and the athleticism makes the game better, or, or do you like it more old school? No, I think it makes the game better. I mean, I go back to, like, the Eddie Jockerman era. Uh, that's when I really sort of got into the game, like, 72. So I, I've seen the uh, the position evolve, and, and I think it's the best it's ever been. I think it was probably at its worst in the 80s when we used to see, like, six goal games all the time, right? Go look at the, uh, you know, goals against and save percentages from that era. They're awful. And it doesn't yeah. mean they were awful goalies. It just means that... Not every team had great goalies and they just, you know, the league expanded. I just think at that point in time, there weren't as many great goalie whisperers as there are now, like now. And I'm not talking about just goalie coaches. I mean, there's plenty of goalie schools and places. And, you know, before then we had the whole Finnish scene and it took a long time to find out that, hey, Finland was basically assigning a goalie coach to every kid. And so that didn't happen all the time. That just happened like in the last 20 years. And now even Finland's fallen off. So it's it changes all the time. But, yeah, I think it's really being played at the height right now 
more than any other era, even though you could point to, you know, Brodeur and, and Wah and before them, Jacques Plant and guys like that. There's always going to be the exceptions. But right now, there's so many great goalies. There yeah. really are. Yeah, Carey Price there. John Gibson's another great one. Hellebuck. You, look what Hellebuck's doing. Yeah, I mean, he's been tremendous. And everybody hopes in Philadelphia that the goalie graveyard uh, moniker is gone now with a guy like <laughs> Carter Hart. But, um, you know, you got a lot to prove before that happens. And, yeah. you know, before you start attacking Marty Rodor's records and all those kind of things. And joining us right now on the Stick to Hockey podcast, I've been wanting to get this guy on for a long time because – we have a very shared interest, and that is about goaltending. It's the goaltending episode, my favorite of the year, and joining us right now. From In Goal Magazine, you read them on NHL.com, from Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, by the way of great technology, Kevin Woodley joins us. Kevin, how you doing, man? Uh, man, I'm, I'm doing good, Jason. I'm excited about this, too. It's, I, and I got to ask, like, once a year? Come on, man, as a goalie? like uh, This is going to be, like, once every, once a month minimum? No, like, the goalie union card requires a consistent, steady diet of goalie geekdom. Well, like, I, I talk about it every week, and Russ Cohen, who I do uh, this podcast with 99% of the time, gets so annoyed with me. He's like, ah, everything's not about goaltending. And I said, well, it actually it is. <laughs> It's what happens in front of us that we discuss, and usually the mistakes of what's in front of us is why we discuss goaltending. But uh, I'm happy to get you on because uh, you are so inside this position with so many NHL goalies, junior ranks, and everything. It's it, it's great. And what you're doing at InGoal and the InGoal Radio podcast is tremendous. And I recommend it to a lot of people via social media and stuff like that because what you guys are doing, I think, is educating people on the position because not a lot of people played the position. So when you guys started the podcast, what was kind of your goal and what you wanted to accomplish? I think kind of an extension of what opened eyes for me when I started. Actually, I didn't start playing the position until I was in my mid-30s. I'm 46 now, so it's been about 10 years. And, and actually, I got started because a goalie coach at the time, he was with the Vancouver Canucks, and he's currently back with the Vancouver Canucks for a second stint, Ian Clark, who is like – you know, one of the godfathers of modern goaltending uh, wrote multiple sort of uh, volumes of, of goaltending manuals. He asked me to edit a magazine for him. And so I was editing and reading his technical instruction. And I just, I learned the game at a level that, you know, I was probably, I think I was five years in as a reporter at that point. And like everyone else, it was, oh, did he make the save? Did he didn't make the save? Good goal, bad goal, judging without ever really understanding how, what the goaltender was trying to do. And I learned a new language. I developed a passion for the position. I started playing and it opened doors to conversations with goalies that nobody else was having at the time. More people do like yourself go mm -hmm. into the room and have those conversations about technique and what they're trying to do out there. Cause you can't judge whether or not a goaltender succeeded or failed until you understand what he's trying to do, what he's reading, uh, why he's choosing a certain technique. And I think the in goal radio podcast is an extension of that. Um, and beyond the technical, basically, we want to have conversations with pro goalies and goalie coaches and not just pros, but obviously the higher levels people want to hear from them um, about the position questions that people don't ask in scrums post game. For the most part, we want to talk goaltending with goalies. I kind of throw out the catchphrase every once in a while. It's there are common bonds, whether you're a peewee or a pro that, that sort of bring the goalie union together. And I find that, giving NHL goalies a chance to share some of those stories and some of their experiences with those common bonds, whether it's masks or equipment, goalie coaches, techniques, mental training, 
it's just they like to talk about it and obviously all other goalies like to hear from them so it's been a fun project yeah and, and the thing that's amazing is like when you look at the nfl everybody gravitates to the quarterback and wants to ask them a ton of questions and they know every element of footwork and don't throw off your back foot but when it comes to goaltending which i equate to the quarterback because it's the most important position in the game people don't do that I spent 25 minutes talking with Carter Hart last year, why he went from a 26 inch paddle to a 25, <laughs> you know, and it was simple. He goes, when I got to the NHL, I realized with the 26 inch paddle that I was opening up and my elbow was off my body a little too far. And I was getting leaky through the arm on my blocker side. So he goes to the 24, tightens his arm and, and closes that leak. A lot of people would never understand that, but what you guys are doing is tremendous. Let's get into the league right now because there's so much going on. And, and like, I'm so intrigued because I know I, I sent you the save from Carter Hart. And I'm sure you saw it last night. I saw you guys post it. What a, a tremendous lateral movement post to post save that he makes in, in that game last night, but also Caden Primo at 20 years old gets his first NHL win a 20 year old goalie and a 21 year old goalie. Are we like in an alternate universe? Well, we're, we're definitely starting to see, that trend where there are special i know the mantra is goalies take longer to develop and hey sometimes it's true right like i mean it's probably true of every position but you know you have your jordan bennington sometimes it's opportunity sometimes it's um experience over the years sometimes it's a new voice or a new goaltending coach that they didn't have when they first started that that brings everything together and makes everything click and that's the difference between earlier in their career and later in the career but increasingly, as the training gets better from a younger age, um, I think there are more of these guys that are going to be exceptions instead of the rule. They're going to be able to step in. And, I, you know, it's not just in Blackwood. Uh, I know it's tough in Jersey right now, but he was outstanding last year at a young age. We see Thatcher Demko. He had a little longer sort of maturing process in the American Hockey League than those other ones. But Andre Vasilevsky, like increasingly the best of the best are ready at a young age. And so – you know, why wait? I think we're seeing teams understand that um, throwing them to the wolves used to be sort of something they considered risky or dangerous. Uh, they were worried about ruining them if they didn't have success early. And I'm kind of like, well, bring them up when you got a chance to set them back down. Like, it's not going to, like, you're not going to ruin Carter Hart mentally. This yeah. kid's been, this kid's been training between the years as much as between the pipes since he was 11 years old. We all know about John Stevenson, Braden Holt, he's sports psychologist and the work that Carter's done with him. And uh, I mean, they're ready, right? Not all of them, but increasingly more of them. And you're seeing, I think teams are going to give them the chance. I mean, it's one of the things that had me raise my eyebrows uh, this summer when, when Florida signed Sergei Bobrovsky, it wasn't so much about whether he'd be a fit or the money or the contract. It was more about, man, you just drafted Spencer Knight, and I see him in that. In the first game. round. Yeah, and he's, he's going to be one of those guys, in my opinion, that could be ready within two or three years at the most. And Bob signed for seven. So, um, you know, not that you can count on it, but I think increasingly we're seeing teams willing to give those young goalies a shot. We're seeing goalies that are just every year more and more prepared for that opportunity than they were in the past. No, no question about it. Kevin, let me ask you about this, because so many goalies come into this league and they may be, have every technical skill. They may be the compete level and all of that stuff, but the situation's not right. Like if you threw a, a, goal, a great goalie prospect two years ago into Doug Waite's system in New York with the Islanders, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. But if you bring them in a year later under Barry Trotz's system, it's an entirely different 
ball game because we know what happened. They shaved 102 goals off year to year. Grice one year couldn't stop a beach ball from the blue line. The next year he's got the you know best save percentage in the league. You say it all the time. Goaltending does not happen in a vacuum. Explain that to people, please, for me. <laughs> goaltending does not exist in a vacuum is one of my – it's basically like a catchphrase every time I do, do an appearance somewhere because the reality is environment matters, defensive environment matters. Um, we've done – there's a lot of great work out there in terms of accounting for that, that environment better than we have before. A lot of the public metrics are based on things like rush versus end zone. There's a little bit of rebound factored in. And it, but it's mostly shot-based. So we see some of the adjusted numbers, goal save above average, some of these advanced analytics. I think, and this is no fault of them, they're just limited information. I think that data, even that falls short. Uh, I do like to refer to ClearSight Analytics and the work done by Stephen Valaket because what he factors in is pre-shot passing. You're a goalie, I'm a goalie, Jason. We know that if a play goes from one side of the ice to the other, we have to rotate minimum a full 180 degrees, make a push, find a puck, get set, get square, Beat the pass, solve the equation, as Benoit Lair always says. It's a lot harder when that play goes across the ice. So they factors in that. They factor in screens, not just can you see it or not, but multiple, like layered screens, own screens, deflected screens, like 34 points of data. And at the end of the day, what you and I know as goaltenders matches in the data in terms of, uh, you know, the Islanders, for example. I was like watching an all-star game. And I used to yeah. use the all-star game as an example. Like it, goalies are really good. But we don't need to change the game. Just watch an all-star game. If you create grade-A opportunities for great players, you're going to get goals. <laughs> the Islanders just took it to the extreme and actually tried it in a regular season. I was actually on the ice with Grice uh, in the summer, and we were doing a drill. Uh, this is two, a couple summers ago. We were doing a drill where uh, it was a progression drill where play would go down the wall, and then there was a little sort of on a sharp angle drive down the wall into a sharp angle situation, a little pop pass into the middle. And the guy in the middle, and shooters at this camp are guys like Andrew Ladd, Tyler Myers, Justin Schultz. Like, we got NHL guys who can fire it at this camp and all NHL goalies. And the drill was funny because coaches were talking. It's like, that seemed a little, I don't say unrealistic. Um, I understood the progression, but it always ended with this shot from between the hash marks, wide open. The kind of shot one of the coaches said, I think we, I saw a stat that this shot that we're working on for the last 15 minutes only happens once every two or three games in the NHL. So it goes we, in two thirds of the time. <laughs> yeah. And Thomas, Thomas Grice overheard us say that he goes, not with the Islanders. We get yeah. 20 of these a game. Right. So like yeah. we measured, they used to measure grade A's and I think good teams talk about, you know, 10 to 12 chances uh, that year for the Islanders. It was more, they were, they were often into the thirties and they were, routinely between 20 and 25 and so you tell me I, I mean if I'm seeing 25 great A's a night and somebody else is seeing five uh, clearly you know shot quality matters and it, it's going to affect your numbers um, another good example where the narrative doesn't always meet um, the actuality there was a game recently where one team outshot the other you know, mid 50s 57 to in the 30s and the team that did all the shooting lost 5-4, and the goalie that lost got all the blame because oh, he gave up five on less shots, and the other guy's the hero because he stopped 50-some-odd shots. When he actually broke down the metrics, the team that fired 57, 50, 57 shots uh, actually had like six or seven good scoring chances, and the team that fired 30 had 12. And the goalie that, the goalie that was basically getting roasted um, actually outperformed the guy that made 53 saves. So uh, math matters. The good stats can break down what's actually happening out there. Quite often, it doesn't match the narrative 
that we hear coming out of a game and or out of a season. I'd love to just sit and take shots on the outside with no screen all day. That's just well, pitch and catch. <laughs> well, we, we call that the 99 percenters. I used to, yeah. I used to, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes when Bill Peters was there to me were a team that were like they dominated shot metrics and they're better now at creating quality, but there was this, there seemed to be this get the puck to the net mantra. And I talked to the goalies and the goalies loved playing Carolina. It was like, yeah, for the first period, they warm us up. It's 99 percenters. It, it, it's, yeah. it, it's, you just pad your stats. They're routine saves. You're, yeah. Okay. Every once in a while, something's going to hit a leg and go in, or the goalie's going to kick a rebound uh, out into the slot. The reality though is usually the bad rebounds are only on really high quality chances. You throw stuff from the outside at a goalie and nine times out of 10, probably more like 99 out of a hundred, these guys can ramp it into the net and get a whistle and reset their defense. They're that good. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely matters. Yeah. You, you can control rebounds, direct into corners. And I love the move of directing a shot into the netting when you're under pressure shot comes in to your glove side and your, your leaning blocker side. And just a simple ramp of the stick right into the netting, and you're just going, yeah, I did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, under underrated play and the kind of thing that we, yep. you know, and a lot of people don't recognize. Sometimes do, but hey, good job to get a whistle. But usually it's when a guy freezes the puck. You know, it's that. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, and to me, that's not just about the goaltender doing his job. That's about the opposition taking a low quality shot and giving him an opportunity to kill the play. Especially if you know, like we, it's a, it gets talked about when a team's buzzing, right? So if you're buzzing and you're controlling play. To me, that's a that's that's a fault offensively to give a goaltender the opportunity to freeze it on such an easy shot. And I know that there are teams in the NHL, one that won a Stanley Cup, the Washington Capitals, that have used these metrics that we're talking about from yeah. clear side analytics, not just to help their goaltender, but to create the type of offense and and sort of refocus what they do offensively to create plays that lead to goals. Because yeah. we can do all the math and say the environment One's easier than another for a goaltender. Well, flip that coin. As an offense, you want to make sure you're creating the types of chances that are harder. And I know teams have done that, and it's led to Stanley Cups. So the proof is sort of in the pudding. Yeah, and that's why you see a team like the Capitals with so many seam passes across the slot line. Um, Your interview with Steve Valiquette, it was – I sent it to all the guys that I coach with at every level. Anybody that I know that is a coach, I sent it to them because the information is tremendous – He's doing something, and you just mentioned the Capitals are one of the teams that uses his numbers. Uh, of all the interviews that you've done on the Ingle Radio podcast, to me, that was the most educational one from a strategic standpoint. But talking to guys like Marty Brodeur, you talk to Carey Price all the time. You do the camp with him every summer. Just talking to all these guys, what you guys are able to get out of them is tremendous. So what's been the response for you guys at Ingle, you know, being able to share those stories with, you know, whether it's Freddie Anderson or Craig Anderson, who just did a pro read segment on the premium site, all that stuff for you guys. How's that been for the response? Uh, I mean, we're getting there. We, we kind of slow launched it, right? So this will help. We'll, we'll pump the tires here a little yep. bit. Um, it's called Ingle Premium. And, uh, you know, we haven't done a real hard launch. We wanted to make sure all the background stuff worked. You know, when you, when you, when you subscribe, it's going to function how it's supposed to subscribe. Um, but the feedback from the NHL level has been fantastic. Like, hopefully it catches up in terms of readers subscribing. Like, uh, when I walked into the room with Freddie Anderson the other day, he'd heard about the Carey Price thing and was quite willing to be like, yeah, like, they liked the idea. Because there's a lot of internet warriors out there on social media. A reverse VH fail was a popular one. Like, every time somebody would score a goal from a sharp angle, it'd be like, hashtag RVH fail. I remember talking to Roberto Luongo about this, actually, for the podcast. And he said, like, you know, yeah, every once in a while, you know, I might commit early or something's going to happen in the RVH and a puck's going to go in and people are going to yell about it. 
But what they don't talk about is the 10 saves I made in that game and made easily in reverse BH that I might not have made if I held my feet or if I was still using a traditional VH, right? And so giving goalies the chance to share their reads in that pro read segment, that was kind of something that I thought would be a big part of in-goal premium has been pretty cool. So Freddie Anderson's like, yeah, absolutely. Go outside after practice, pull up at a table. I got the computer out uh, and he is watching video like he would with a goalie coach and explaining his reads to us. And I think goalies like that opportunity, like I said, in an age where people are constantly picking them apart to sort of explain how they treat a play, what they read, what they're seeing, how they react to it, why they choose a certain technique, why they choose a certain depth. And what's been amazing to me is, you know, after, like I said, covering the league now, this is my 20th season, and I've been doing the goalie thing for 15, and obviously quite passionate about it. I was still blown away at the amount of detail that these guys pick out amidst a fast moving game to make their reads. It's astonishing. And it's a good lesson for kids because we've heard this a lot over the years and that's kind of was the premise behind it. How many times have you heard? I hear from NHL goaltenders. I remember in 2003, four, when I started this um, NHL goaltenders and I still hear it. Oh, I go to camps in the summer. These 12 year olds move better than I do. Remember when I started half the league didn't even know proper leg recovery. Yeah. So there were guys getting up off the wrong leg. Inefficiencies were everywhere in the league still. And they'd watch the kids and they'd be like, man, these kids are better than me. And then they'd try and learn some of these things. You still hear from goaltenders. They'll say, like, I go to these camps and these like 13-year-old kids, they're incredible. Yeah. They move perfectly. Their technique is flawless. But you put them in a game and they can't stop a puck. Not yeah. all of them, but some of them. And that comes to me. Uh, part of that is maybe teaching too much technique too early in age. Um, there's something to be said. One of the best goal, like in Clark, his young, his young son, his older kids were goalies. His young son's now 10. He's a goalie. He does not inundate him with technical stuff. He wants him to go out there and react and learn how to react. He, he said, yeah, yeah, he said, yeah. And he said on one of our podcasts, there's, I always think about the technique because it's the easiest thing to identify. I can't yep. see between their ears, but I can see between the pipes and, and technique and technical flaws and, and technical strengths are things that I can pick out. But as Ian Clark said, it's, it's one of seven keys uh, to elite goaltending in his mind. And so reads are a part of that. And we wanted NHL goalies to share their reads. And the detail's been incredible. The things they pick out uh, in a rush or what hand shooters are, not just what hand, but how they're holding their hands, how their body's positioned to anticipate a shot. Uh, it's been eye-opening for me, even after all these years in the position. And I, and I think the goalies think it'll be good for kids to see that because it'll help them develop the reads that may be missing. Maybe the part of why they look so good at a goalie practice, but it doesn't always translate to games. And that's just one of the things we're doing. I've got three years worth of uh, drills and tips from goalies and NHL goalies and NHL goalie coaches at camps I've been to uh, over the summers that I've been sort of sitting and holding and, and waiting for in goal premium to become a reality. And, and we're going to unleash those on a monthly basis and, and looking forward to sharing them with the goalie world. Man, I absolutely highly recommend it. Uh, you know, I subscribed right away. I was, I was text messaging you right away about some different elements. Um, one of uh, your good buddies and a contributor in goal, uh, Paul Campbell, when I, when I mentioned him, I was having you on, said, make Kevin expound on why Carter Hart for 30 minutes uh, and about his technique and what makes him different than Carey Price. <laughs> I said, I will, but I'm going to tell him that you're asking it, Paul. Um, well, I don't know what makes them different than Carey. Oh, geez. They're both nobody's like, Carey Price, by the nobody's way. Nobody's Carey Price. Um, you know, there's some, there, there's similar efficiencies. There's a quietness to their game. We all watched the flashy glove save. 
um, the other night. There was one on that five on three earlier. We got a piece of it with his glove earlier in the Taylor season. Hall, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people look at it and they're like desperation. Um, and certainly, like I said, seven keys of, of elite goaltending technique isn't everything. But when you look at Carter, uh, there's an efficiency to Carey's movement um, that I think Carter early in his career, uh, maybe maybe even – got to be careful. I don't want to say – like it's not better because it's Carey Price. Yeah. But there, there are, are layers of efficiency in how he moves. I would call it top-down movement, builds early rotation in his pushes – um, when he gets to a spot, he gets there set square as opposed to getting there and having to build those elements once he arrives. Early eyes. I mean, go watch those two saves we just talked about and watch how early he builds that rotation from the top, which allows him to come across on angle and square to the shooter. And he's and just got that visual attachment where, you know, he knows where that puck's going and he's, and he's got access. Because of the way he moves biomechanically, he gets across sort of on a square path to the shooting angle but he's still got access to his hands he's none of the counter rotation we used to see in goaltenders and a, and a lot of guys are working hard to eliminate this but um those are all sort of foundational elements of his game and when i say counter rotation that's you know for the uninitiated that's the body the lower body moving one way uh, the upper body moving the other and you can sort of see it on uh, when, when they're recovering or whatever you'll see the if i'm moving to my left you'll see like the blocker flail way out to the right almost and, dragging your arms with you yeah, like you, well, you're, it's like a momentum build. You're swinging yep. your upper body one way to push the other way. And if you think about it, like, okay, I just moved half my body out of the way. And so there are some new principles of tracking and biomechanics that tell you if you trigger your movement with the head in a certain manner and you sequence your movement from a, in a top-down nature, from head down, move that first as opposed to sticking your leg out and trying to move your body first, the, the body-first movement looks quicker but it's actually slower in terms of getting you on angle and, and getting you to the spot you need to go with access to your hands. And I can, I can clip lots of stuff where on plays that Carter's making saves, uh, other goalies are actually still spinning out of the way while that puck's being shot. And Carter's already not just moving, but moving in a way that gives him access to that puck, access to his hands, and moving that in a way that's going to put him on a path to be square when he gets there. And, and to be able to see that, man, I'm not going to be able to beat this across. I'm going to have to go spread, maybe a little earlier sometimes than you'd like, but I'm still seeing that puck and I'm still able to react to it with my hands. So that's just one small thing. Uh, there's a lot that that kid does that I really like. And I'm biased. We work with some of the same coaches. I've done some work in Hockey Canada. Um, the year he won the World Juniors, uh, I was uh, there as a video consultant at the uh, POE camp that he was at in the summer. So clearly I have some built-in biases towards some of the you know, coaches like Dustin Schwartz and Lyle Mass that uh, that he works with, but um, as I said, there are two things that 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 are that, that don't lie. Uh, video doesn't lie, and when you break it down frame by frame and see some of the difference in this uh, goalies that move out of the way, as absurd as that sounds, actually, if you were to freeze it when the puck is released, they actually were in the spot when it's released, and then when the puck goes in, they've actually moved out of that spot, tied to some biomechanical things, um, sort of. The biomechanics in the video don't lie, and I think there are some efficiencies in Carter's game that, that are sort of new, and, and the new generation is starting to learn that, that well, again, it's why these kids will keep getting better and why goaltending will keep getting better and why they'll probably be ready at younger ages. Yeah, certainly, and he's, he's been one of those guys that's taken the league by storm. You talked about Bennington earlier and the run he goes on last year, um, and I'm one of those guys, I'm still a little bit skeptical on him long term. Um, 
It took a while to get there and the right opportunity, basically with St. Louis. I mean, it was an organization that left him, you know, he wasn't in their plans and somehow he ended up there and rode a tremendous run. A lot of goalies can get hot. We've seen it over the years, whether that's all the way back to Jim Carrey or going with the Hamburglar a couple of years ago in Ottawa. What makes you believe that he is sustainable, um, that he's going to be a guy that is, we're going to talk about for the next five years as being in that upper echelon? Well, I mean, I guess I could be wrong, but the good news is I can say that uh, I went on record uh, actually pretty early in that run. January mm-hmm. last year, I was asked about it. And so I did the research. I talked to the goalie coach that he works with in the summer. You know, and funny enough, a guy who is on top of some of these new trends in terms of biomechanics and movement and efficiency. And, you know, part of it, part of it is that. Part of it is I talked about some guys take longer because they find a different voice later in their careers. Part of it is just developing a maturity and professionalism. But I said in January last year, and actually we got a running, I do a regular weekly hit, radio hit here in Vancouver. And one of the hosts mentioned some of those names and, uh, you know, thought maybe he might be one of them. And, and I begged to differ, thankfully, publicly. So it's on record. Um, I, I do think it's sustainable. When I look at some of those efficiencies in his movement, um, I saw in the playoffs, there were some elements of his post play that were targeted uh, successfully by other teams, it seemed. Um, and I see he's made improvements on those. So you, when you have that work ethic and that commitment and drive to get better, plus a little bit of that sweat, I mean, there's other, there's always intangibles, right? Like the swagger that he has. I love yeah. that as a goalie. Um, but I think there's a foundation there that has only been developed in the past three years in terms of efficiency of movement. And there's a willingness there to, to, to do the work to get better in terms of the post play, for example. I do think he has staying power. Um, again, two years from now, I could be totally wrong. But right now, it looks good on me for saying it in January. So I'll stick with it. Uh, I like a lot about his game. And I do see sustainable elements. This is, this is the other part of a goaltending too, right? Like the game changes so much in such short order. It's why at the risk of my goalie union card, when people ask me about signing goalies, I say the one thing I wouldn't do is commit long-term if I was a general manager. And again, you know, hopefully the goalie union doesn't yank the card, take money out of the pocket, but like, man, like goaltending doesn't exist as a vacuum. We've established it. And the environment changes, not just from coach to coach and team to team or from a coaching change, but as defensemen age, as you tra- as you lose what's in front of you, um, but also just the game itself. Like I, I think Valakit told me from two years ago to last year, there was something like 1300 more Royal road plays uh, in the league yeah. like across the slot line, lateral plays, more teams are understanding how to create offense and that that old throw it at the net garbage. Well, it works sometimes is typically, you know, as a philosophy, it's not going to work very often. You're just going to feed the other goaltender and it's, it's just getting harder and harder and harder. The lateral, the speed, the skill, the deception that's a big one shooters to me shooters are finally catching up to goaltenders in terms of their work in the offseason with skills coaches goalies were always ahead of the curve like for 15 years ever since i've been doing this players went in the summer they played golf enjoyed themselves they worked out like yeah they absolutely worked out they got bigger they got stronger and they got faster they did almost no skill development Guys like Zach Parise were rare. They would go to his brother Jordan's goalie camps to try and learn what goalies were doing so they could exploit it. But for the most part, for all these years, it was bigger, stronger, faster. Now the players are doing what the goalies have been doing for two decades. They're going into the summers working on their skills. And the ability to show one thing and deliver another another off a release is just, I mean, these kids and what they can do with the whip on their sticks and control them and deception, that stuff's going through the roof. So signing a goaltender that succeeded before this became prevalent and expecting him, what he did to still work 
10 years or eight years or whatever the max is maxed to eight years, but we've got a few that were signed to 10 year deals before then. Like to me, that's, that's a risk. Um, Cause the yeah. game does change around them. And, and we talk about tracking and mechanics, like you've got to be able to stay on that puck. You have to be able to, I've had this conversation with Ryan Miller, for example. And he, like, if you're not reacting to the puck before it's off the blade, he says you're too late from certain areas, right? Like there's just not humanly enough time to react to it. And yet players there are players out there that are, are counting on you reacting to what he shows you before the release and then changing it up before the puck's off his blade. So the ability to stay on a puck through release longer, visually attached to it through the release longer, and these, again, tied to biomechanics and easily proven physical principles, that becomes increasingly valuable. So um, to me, you know, I, I'm rambling here a bit, which I tend to do, but, you know, like, so I can say I, I think Bennington is sustainable but there were guys five years ago that aren't succeeding anymore that I thought were sustainable because I didn't see the game changing as much as it has in the last couple of years. And for that reason and that reason only, if I was a GM, term would be the one thing I avoid most of all when it comes to signing a goaltender. Yeah, no question about it. You see guys like Austin Matthews, they're this ability oh. to bring the puck into their feet and then release it and release it with, with, with the, the, the gusto that they can. That makes it insanely difficult because yeah. we're reading the shoulders, the hips, the body positioning, the, the blade, everything. And when he pulls it into his feet, that's a nightmare. Well, and you can take a look at it. Again, video doesn't lie. I love it when you see the breakdowns, or especially when a guy like him with the reach he has, you get a little time and space. And the speed he's moving, and he's changing angles, yeah. not just through his speed, and whether it's coming down the wing and forcing that goaltender to adjust angle and rotate to stay square the whole time or cutting into the middle. When he holds that puck sort of way out there, and the, you know, pulling the puck that, like you said, into the feet to shoot, like, 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 get an angle from behind the net if you can, and you know, mark the lines from where that release starts to where it finishes, and watch how severely the angle changes for a goaltender. It's yeah. just, it's really tough. I mean, these guys are incredible. It's fun, right? Like, yeah. that's the thing, because when you make a save on that, that you know, like. Mm -hmm. To me, that's like you can have low. We had one here in Vancouver the other night. It was a mostly a one nothing, two nothing game through the second period. A late goal, late in the second period, pretty tight game. Nothing, nothing first period. It was one of the most exciting periods I'd watched all year because the goalies were playing incredibly. Huge Freddie Anderson fan, by the way. He's just he's rocking it right yeah. now. Um, the he could use some making, structure around him. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In front of him for sure, but it's getting yeah. better. Yeah. And uh, but then I mean the three breakaway saves he had to make in the third period aside, but it was an exciting game. Like saves can be exciting. Goaltending isn't you know this whole drop and block stuff that people used to talk about. Man, you show me a guy who is a blocking goaltender in the NHL, I'll show you a guy who's not in the NHL anymore. Like it just doesn't yeah. exist. So give me offensive chances, and I don't care if it's low scoring. Uh, good saves are sexy too. Yeah, Kevin, what's coming up next uh, with Ingle Mag and Ingle Premium? Oh, dude, it's um, it's it's kind of just it's kind of constantly uh, moving forward. We we are banking a ton of pro reads. I banked a ton. Uh, we released. Uh, I think the third one goes out today. We were originally talking about that being a once a week segment, but the response from goalies willing to sort of sit down with me and go over the video, the amount I've been able to accumulate. I think I've got. 25 of them already. Wow. Uh, Kerry Price, Frederick Anderson, Craig Anderson. Biggest uh, James, names in goaltending, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and James Ryan. You know, but some of the – you know, one of the ones I'm really excited to release was I spent some time with him this summer is Mike Condon. Mm -hmm. And a real thinker, a real articulate guy who really understands the game. And uh, that's one we're going to release soon. And people will be like, ah, oh, he's not an active goaltender right now. He's had, he's had all kinds Doesn't of matter. struggles with yeah. – 
you know, his reads on some of the biggest saves that you will remember, everyone will remember from the Winter Classic Montreal against Boston, the details that he saw and the way he articulates them in the pro read. Like, I can't wait to unleash that. So that's probably going to be twice a week feature for us right now. So it keeps the content regular. We'll have bonus episodes of the podcast, little outtakes and little extra 10-minute snippets that maybe aren't enough to form a full public in Goal Radio podcast. But we'll throw the extra 10 minutes I got with, say, James Reimer yesterday talking about the 10 pounds of sweat he loses in a game and how Jeez. he manages that. We'll, we'll throw that up on the in goal podcast. And then, uh, like I said, Adam Francilia is in town today, trainer that works with Hellebuck, Dubnik, Brassois, Comrie, uh, all these guys. And, and, and so we're going to do, he, he's going to introduce us to some new off ice off season training tips that I think can help goalies in season as well. Lots of content from our day with Carrie Price. It's all just going to keep coming out. So, yeah, I appreciate you giving me the chance to plug oh, my no product problem. here. Yeah. Uh, so everybody go to ingolmag.com. What is it? Kev's on goal. In goal yeah. for your Twitter handle. Kevin is in goal. Obviously all one word. Kevin is in goal. And in goal mag is the, uh, the handle on Twitter and, and uh, on, on Instagram as well. I tell you what, a great Christmas present if you have a goalie on your list is to get the premium subscription. It's well worth it. You'll find out the origination of the RVH, how it was developed, and a lot of people would be shocked to know that it, it was a woman that developed it, essentially. Yeah, Linda Blomquist. We met her a couple of years ago uh, at the uh, Network Goaltending Symposium in Nashville, uh, put on by Network Goaltending and that group with Mike Valley and Justin Goldman and all those guys. They do a, they do a nice job with those seminars. Met Linda. Uh, she was introduced as the inventor of the RVH, and Linda – very carefully was quick to point out, hey, Mike, the goalies are responsible for it more than anyone, but also uh, another goalie coach that she worked with. Like she, like she was introduced as that person. She was very careful not to take too much credit. I thought it was pretty cool um, just, like, just to meet the person that came up that helped come up with the concept and then develop it not just into a save, but into a post-integration system of movement. And so not only was she gracious enough to sort of share that story after sort of presenting to a group of 100 goalie coaches on the ice in Nashville, um, but then she walked us through some of the tips and the only downside was it took us so long to launch in goal premium. Cause we've been kind of, you know, just itching to pull that trigger, but we waited and waited maybe a little too long. The stuff she identifies in the video as being sort of, this is in her mind at, at the time she thought was going to be sort of the next transition of RVH. Well, two years later, by the time we published the article, you're seeing it all. She was right. Yep. She was prophetic. This is sort of how RVH is being done and taught. And if we'd published it two years ago, it would have been a big scoop. Right now, it's just a nice little tip um, from Linda on how they teach it in Sweden, where, where it originated. And, of course, called SMS in Sweden, yep. uh, reverse VH. So, yeah, things like that, things that probably only goalies can appreciate. We'll keep bringing that to you at End Goal Premium. Well, we're trying to educate all hockey fans. That's the goal. And, Kevin, last thing for you, because Brian Boucher is going to appear on the, uh, the goalie episode and I think he has a record in sports that will never be beaten. And I always rib him about it because you, you see when a goalie gets two shutouts in a row, they go, oh, here they come for Brian Boucher's five shutout. Nobody's ever breaking that record in today's NHL. No. Five games? Crazy. No, you'd have to – like, you, I, I, you just have to be on an incredible heater. You'd have to have a team playing really well in front of you. And, hey, the Islanders have a pretty tight structure that, you know, if anyone was going to do it, but with the Islanders, it'd never be the same goalie. If you wanted five in a row, you'd, you'd have to wait 10 games because of the rotation. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that is incredible. Uh, I, Brian's one of those guys that I never got to really meet and talk to enough, a little bit here and there during his career. But So I'm definitely looking forward to listening to the conversation with you and hearing two goalie guys chat because uh, hearing him on the broadcasts, 
Yeah, he just, does a great yeah, job. Yeah, he's just fantastic. And bringing that goalie, that goalie insight, um, to me, you can never have enough of it. Obviously, I'm biased, but he does an awesome job delivering it. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you two guys come up with. And I'm with you. I don't think that record will ever be broken. Yeah, that's one of those ones I don't think will ever be touched. Maybe Gretzky's goals can be broken by Ovi in a couple of years, but not Bush's uh, uh, shutout streak. Kevin, this was a lot of fun, man. I appreciate you doing this. And uh, we'll definitely be checking you out in Goal Radio Podcast, ingoalmag.com, the premium and everything else. We appreciate it. Uh, hey, super fun for me. So uh, tell Russ that we're going to have to do this more often <laughs> and I'm happy to come on anytime. And, and we'll talk more about goaltenders around the league. I think I spent too much time talking about what I'm doing. So next time we'll bat around a little more what's going on with goalies all over the place. Thanks so much for Jason for having me on. All right, there you go. Kevin Woodley from in goal magazine. Uh, great to have him join the stick to hockey podcast. He does a great job, Russ, and just kind of breaking everything down in his podcast at uh, in goal mag and the in goal radio podcast is tremendous. Yeah, he look, he's the first guy that I ever came across that, you know, was trying to teach me as as a writer, you know, the reverse VH, the VH, all that, all that was new to me. And I'll be a lie. I'd be lying if I said I understand it 100 percent completely, but I understand it a lot better now because. Of yeah. Him. Yeah, no question. He's done a great job in uh, educating goalies and, you know, talks a lot about goalie coaches. And uh, you know, it's weird to think that goalie coaches is almost like a modern day thing. Like not every team had a goalie coach 15 right. years ago. That, that's crazy to even consider that the importance of the position and that it didn't have a specialty coach like the NFL. There's a quarterback's coach, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times that goalie coach can be the buffer between the goalie and the head coach and the guy that tells the head coach that actually wasn't a bad goal. That goal was actually on your defense. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is good to have an advocate and that's what they are. They're, Besides helping your goalie, they are an advocate because, again, when the heat comes down, it's going to the goalie first. And then if you could break it down and have a guy point out to you what to the coach what the problem is, it does help the goalie. Now, you saw the game uh, the Flyers had the, uh, the other night in Colorado mm-hmm. and the save Carter Hart made uh, on uh, Miko Rantanen. Yeah. Would you, is that is that a save of the year? Um, There's contender? been so many saves of the year. It could be. I, I want to say I've seen six or seven save of the year contenders right now. Well, the flurry save, be. the flurry save is definitely there. Yeah. Um, and the Tukaras save with the inside of the blocker is definitely there, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And and Those maybe two are definite. Yeah, maybe that Carter Hart one can uh, get into that category as well. But tremendous save. See, he's made two of those this year. Mm-hmm. And he and he's and I oftentimes you have to consider who shot the puck on those saves. The first one was against the Devils on a five on three and Taylor Hall. Yeah. And the second one is on Miko Rantanen. Yeah. So you're talking about elite snipers in the league. A lot of times you look at those saves and you go, Oh, what a great save. He traveled so far to get there, but the shooter actually screwed up because he shot it to the middle of the net. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Rantanen and Taylor Hall, not the case. They were right wow. inside the bar. So you needed every bit of extension to get to it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, again, with, with heart at the young age he's at, I kind of wish he had a better defense in front of him, to be honest. Yeah. Well, you look at a team like that. You saw them play Phoenix last week and um, listening to Steve Valaket, he was saying the, the uh, Coyotes are the third best team to be a goalie behind just yeah. because of the D zone structure and the amount of high quality chances that they give up and those kind of things. And that when you see two goalies having tremendous success, like you did last year with Grice and Robin Leonard, it, mm-hmm. on the island and then you see the same thing going on with Kemper and Ranta in Arizona 
you, you know, you go, okay, the goalies are playing well, but it's more the defensive system that are putting them in a good position to have success. Yeah, and I do think it's a fact. What, another factor is whether that goalie doesn't give up rebounds or they direct it right and the defense knows exactly what to do with them. Like, Kempner just covers everything up. So you don't have to worry about anything yep. then. But the guys that do like to direct it, they've got to be right on that page with the defense because if they're not, obviously it's going to go, you know, it's going to turn right back on them. So I think both of those things are important. But I also think, yeah, if you look at the goalie coaching, I mean, you know, Mitch Korn, he certainly turned it all around on the island. Oh, yeah, he's, he's done it everywhere he's been. Yeah. Um, the, the other part is, um, speaking of just covering pucks, can Carter Hart just start covering pucks and stop trying to play the puck? I think they're afraid to teach him that. I think they're – I hear schools of thought on this, and it's not with Carter Hart, but just with goalies in general. And in season, it's almost like they're afraid to, you know, tell someone like that, hey, listen, don't play the puck anymore. Do this because then they're going to overthink it. But he is – from the start of the year, he has definitely been hesitating on what to do in those situations. Not every time, but once in a while. But I just think they're hesitant in trying to fix it in season. Yeah, to me, it, the fix is don't do it. Just cover it. You have two of the top two face-off guys in the league in Giroux and Couturier will take the draw because yeah. he's thinking he's not – it's all about being decisive. And you saw the goal that they gave up last week – when he just kind of turned it over behind the net, thinking Gostas Bear was coming to it. Right. And, and everybody goes, well, that's on Ghost. He didn't bust it behind no, the net. No. And I totally disagree. That Thank is all on the goalie because the goalie it has to communicate that to him. He, The goalie has the entire play in front of him. A guy right. like Gostas Bear coming back has his back to what's coming. So the goalie's got to be calling out me, I got it, or you behind, whatever it is, or you – and. Like even in men's league, we tell guys, hey, I'll play the puck a lot. But when I get it, don't come to me. Give right. me somewhere to go. Because when you come to me, you just clog up my area and I end up hitting right. it off you or the other player. But if you give me somewhere to go, I'll get it to you. Well, the other yeah. thing with Hart, too, I mean, clearly not totally comfortable in the trapezoid. We've seen him like duck walk it back a couple times mm -hmm. and, and almost get it, you know, a goal against because of it just because he is just hesitant just going back there in general. Like, you don't see him even trying to make a stick pass. He literally gets the puck, quiets it down, and leaves it there for a defenseman most times. Yeah, and you see a guy like Ben Bishop who's, like, uh, uh, having another John Klingberg out there. Yeah, Bishop saw a lot of guys. Even Elliott's good with the stick. Yep, no question about it. Well, let's get to a guy that was uh, good with the stick, good with the glove, good with the uh, blocker, and uh, played a long time. Member of the Flyers, played for the uh, Coyotes, as a matter of fact, San Jose Sharks. And he's doing great work right now on NBC Sports between the benches on the national broadcast. Brian Boucher sticks, uh, joins us now on the Stick to Hockey podcast, the special goaltending episode. A man who has a record in sports that I don't think will ever be broken. It was 15 years ago, and I believe it started late in the month of December, if I'm correct. Five consecutive shutouts. Brian Boucher from NBC Sports joins us right now. Boosh, what's going on? Not much. I uh, just got back home. I uh, witnessed a pretty darn good game last night between Boston and Washington. So, uh, yeah, just uh, getting ready for the weekend. Uh, watch more hockey. That's pretty much what I do. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because Keith Primo's son, at 20 years old, got his first NHL win last night as a goaltender for Montreal. And your son... Tyler is playing in the U.S. National Team Development Program as a forward. What's going on there? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, for, I can speak for Tyler that uh, his mom was not going to let him be a goalie after having to deal <laughs> with my, after having to deal with my career. She said no chance that uh, she could go through that again. Um, and maybe in Preem's case, I don't, I'm not really sure how that all materialized, but uh, maybe in the Primo family, there's a good uh, line of athletes in the family. And that's why the kid gravitated to being a goaltender because all the best, athletes or goaltenders are they not i i think yeah no I, argument I, here. I've, been around, <laughs> I've been in a few scrums i've been in a few scrums with caden i think he may have started as a defenseman when he's really young and then went to goalie i don't think he was ever an offensive player so sometimes you know it is sometimes players or people like i have a defensive mind when i play sports and sometimes people just do well, yeah, I would it, agree with that. I, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, and, and look, I mean, if you if you enjoy being on the ice, I think that's what a lot of kids too, right? They 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 just enjoy being on the ice. They don't want to come off. Uh, so if that's where your mind gravitates to, be, you know, being defensive, but also wanting to be on the ice, then goalie's a natural way to go. Hey, Bush, let me ask you this. I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but what drew you into being a goalie? There, there's usually like a a bunch of options like you had older brothers that were forward so you ended up in goal you loved the equipment or the mask or the fact that you didn't want to leave the ice what was it that made you you know gravitate to the crease so my older brother that was uh 60 years older than me uh bruce was a goalie and i was too young to play on the might team as a skater when i was starting to play i was doing like learn to skate and but i was too young to play as a forward on the might team so they were looking for a goalie and they asked my dad, they said, Hey, you know, would, would Brian be interested in playing goal seeing that his older brother plays? And when they asked me, I was like, absolutely. You know, I, one, I looked up to my brother and two, I love the gear. And whenever we played street hockey and stuff like that, I was always thrown in goal because uh, they wanted to shoot at me and, you know, they'd eventually, you know, hurt me and, and I'd start crying. And then, you know, they'd be like, don't, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Mom's going to hear, you know, and, and try and protect themselves. But yeah, that's how I got into being, that's how I got into being a goaltender because my brother and I like the gear. It, it is amazing. Bro- yeah. That, that's a good story. Brian, the other day I was, I was obviously kidding around when I tweeted to you about the Leafs backup job and you said, you know, you'd start <laughs> stretching. But what I, what I wasn't, kidding about is they do need a backup and I have to ask you since you did spend time as a backup did coaches or GMs say hey look we're signing you we expect 10 to 15 wins out of you as a backup or you know we might not resign you next year right now the Leafs have blown away a lot of points on that mm-hmm. backup goalie spot and it's very important to them yeah, I think this is something that's kind of like evolved this backup position being important. I think I just missed the boat, to be honest with you, as far as people recognizing the importance of it. Because uh, I feel like, you know, towards the end of my career, I was able to nail that that position down. Um, I, you know, I, I had, you know, I had teams tell me that uh, when I signed with them, look, we, you know, we're going to need 25 starts out of you. Um, and it's implied as to, you know, you figure it out what you need to do out of those 25 starts. Obviously, they're going to want, you know, 12 wins, 12 yep. to 15 wins. Uh, but nobody ever said, hey, we need this amount of wins. But, you know, they would tell me where, you know, how many games they were expecting me to play. And, you know, sometimes that, you know, that was the determiner as to where you wanted to sign, too. Like if a team said, look, we're, we're not going to use you much, then maybe you don't you don't sign there. I mean, at, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we all want to play, right? We all want to contribute. And uh, I think for me, 
you know, wanting to play a little bit more was something that I, that I wanted. I knew I couldn't be a starter towards the end and that, that ship had sailed, but yeah. I, and the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, I think their cap structure is a mess with regards to wanting to get a, a guy in there that, you know, that, that can be a real viable number two. I think they, they're, they're hamstrung. Uh, they can't pay a guy 2 million uh, or no. two and a half million to do the job that Yaroslav Halak is doing or Anton Hudobin's doing. They're going to need to restructure how they've got their, their money allocated in order to, to figure that situation out because they're one injury away from Freddie Anderson to maybe not even be in a playoff team. And that would be a shame with the, with the forward group that they have. And that's what happens when you pay four of your forwards over $40 million and you allocate the money yeah. that way. Hey, Boosh, let me ask you this because they had a guy there. They had McElhaney there. And not only was he, you know, a good backup and wasn't going to cost you a lot of money, but he has a unique ability as a backup to not play for 10 days or play for, you know, five straight games and then come in and give you a quality start. How hard is that to keep yourself mentally prepared? And you have to do it through practice and simulations and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to actually getting in there, because no matter what you do in practice or what you can try and simulate, you can't simulate a game really difficult um i i don't even know how to put in the words it's why that position deserves to make two million dollars a year uh and people might scratch their head and say wait what are you saying i'm serious it is a very very hard job to do starting goaltenders that play in the nhl and then eventually you ask them to, to do that role sometimes they can't even do it most times they can't do it because they're they got to rewire their brains they got to rewire the way they practice. Um, it becomes really hard uh, to master that job, and it takes time. And a young guy really can't can't do that. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you know. The thing is, is that you think, oh, you should be able to to figure this out. But young guys want to play, right? They want to play 55, 60 games. They want to make the big bucks. So they're they have a mental block where they, they can't accept the role. And if you can't accept the role of being a number two, where you're going to play every 10 days, uh, you're going to have a hard time doing that job. Well, so I think you've got to arrive at a point in your career where you're like, you know what? I'm done with being a number one. I'm done with aspiring to be a number one. I really just want to be a team player. I want to be a guy that has a job that uh, people respect me, that people understand that I'm a big part of this team. And at the end of the day, and then when that happens, then you can go out there and, and try and do the job. But I think that's where guys get in trouble. Young players, they just, they're not ready to accept that role. So they, they'll never have a chance of being successful in that role. Brian, when did young, when did goalies start being looked at as real athletes? Cause I remember when I was growing up, it, that sort of wasn't the case in the seventies, but Mike Richter came around and just sort of like looked at this guy and said, wow, his thighs are like tree trunks and we could see he could make save after save after save. I think it started then, but I'm not, I'm not sure. And now, you know, good story. Like Craig Billington told me once, the devil's dev camp was here. Here's 150 pounds on a bar. Go see if you can lift that. And he couldn't. And, and that was right after he was drafted because he was a skinny goalie. When did all of that change? Uh, a good question. Um, you know, I, I think when I started to enter uh, the NHL, I think there was a shift. There was a shift that was starting to take place where guys um, were better athletes. Um, you know, and then, you know, I just think of like, what, what, what draft was Marc-Andre Fleury? Was he 03? 03, yeah. I believe. 03, 03. yeah. 
So you think around there, like you get a guy like Mark Andre Fleury. Don't sit here and tell me that that guy is not an athlete when you watch him right. play. Oh man, you know what I mean? Like best lateral is, moving goalie I mean, I've ever seen. And I'm going to tell you, he and he doesn't look like he's slowing to me. I, I mean, he nope. still is very, very quick. Um, yeah. You know, so I don't know. Maybe it's around that time where all of a sudden okay. the mind started to shift, where you're kind of like, hey, you know, it's not about the guy that can't skate, right? This this notion of the the, <laughs> the, the goalies can't skate. It, it, it's about actually finding a guy that is an athlete. And I think maybe around that time is when maybe the the scout started to to hone in on maybe a little bit more of that versus the guy that you just stick in the net. Hey, Boosh, one of the things, you know, one, one of the plights of goalies, and earlier in this episode, I talked to Kevin Woodley about it, and um, I'm sure you know of Steve Valaket's, you know, ClearSight Analytics site, and, you know, mm-hmm. not all shots are created equal. But for so many years, goalies have been measured on two things, two numbers, goals against average and save percentage. And while I, I value save percentage much higher than goals against average, but I still don't va- value save percentage the way I would like a GSAA goal saved above average and those kind of numbers or expected goals allowed. Um, You know, when you see these advanced analytics for goalies right now and you're not playing, is that something you wish you had back then? Or is it something that you wouldn't have even allowed to enter your brain in your playing days? I I don't know if I would have, uh, you know, gotten bogged down with, with that type of information as, as a player, to be honest with you, Jason. Um, you know, I think I, I, when you're, when you're playing, I think what's important is that you, you know, your preparation, the way you train, the way you get ready to play, uh, your, the process that you, you do all of this, I think is most important. I, I don't know that you, as a player, you don't want to get bogged down, uh, in the numbers. I think that's stuff for, um, uh, you know, your agent to potentially look at when it comes to defending you or pleading your case uh, when it comes to a negotiation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know for me as a player, if I would have thought much about that stuff. I mean, clearly when I came to the rink every day and you saw this, you know, you saw the stat packet, um, you felt much better about yourself if the save percentage was above, uh, well, when I first got in the league, if it was above 90%, that was great. Uh, right. And it, it it seemed to climb steadily after that. If it got above nine one zero, you felt you know, good about that. Um, you know, so sorry about that. I got the dog in the background. Um, Sorry. Right. You know, it, it, you know, like to me, I, to get bogged down in in, um, in the advanced uh, analytics side of it, I don't know if I would have done that as a player. But it, like anything in life, right? Uh, things evolve. The, the the way players communicate with one another today versus when I played. Um, maybe these guys do look at that stuff, you know, well, well, uh, I just well, the think re- for the me, it would, been, it would have been almost too much information for me. Yeah. Like the reason I asked Boosh is cause like as a goalie, you know, when you're playing well, but sometimes you, or you're not playing well, but sometimes you don't want to mm-hmm. convince yourself of either. Were, were you a guy that was able to be, be honest with your feel of the game? Cause you can go out and give up five goals and play. I go, I played really well. Cause I could have given up eight just the way it played out. And conversely, you can give up two and go, you know what? I didn't play that good because one of those two or both of those I should have had, or I got a piece of. Yeah. I think, you know, you can be honest with yourself and your self-evaluation, but you know, I'll, I'll say this to you, you know, think about this. Say you give up five goals on 25 shots, right? What if, you know, and you talk about high danger chances or, or what have you, maybe that night you made zero saves on the high danger chances, but 
they were goals that went cross seam to the backdoor guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. not all high danger chances are created equal. I would say, even though we, we classify them as high danger, um, there's going to be some nights where you come up with no saves on those chances. You know what I mean? And then there might mm-hmm. be other nights where you come up with 10 out of 10 on high danger. So, I mean, that's a tough part of, of goaltending is that when you get out there that night, you have no idea, you know, how it's going to unfold, you know, and maybe that's the beauty of it, that there's so many unknown factors that could take place before a 60 minute game. And you really just have to read, you have to react and you have to execute. And some nights the execution will be there and some nights the reads will be there and some nights they won't be. And, you know, so I think at the end of the day, when you draw out all the averages, you know, you hope that the, the Knights equal them, you know, equal their way out. And uh, the numbers, you know, if you've got a high save percentage, you'd like to think all of the advanced numbers will be right there in line with it. Um, but if you want, if you want to, if you want to start splitting hairs, I guess you could, you could always do that. But that brings me back to my point that for me, I wouldn't want to do that. I just would be more concerned. I could be honest with myself and go through every single goal and say what I could have done better what I should have done. I didn't read and I can give you the answer as to why I didn't come up with the save and then just work to work to, to get a better read or work to fight, to fight through traffic or whatever it is. Okay. So bringing it back to the viewer or the fan, Brian, there's always a situation where somebody will say, or even someone like me will write, yeah, that was a bad goal or the goalie would like to have that one back. I try and tell fans online, Nowadays, there's at least one of those every game, every goalie. There's no more goalie standing on his head for, like, in the playoffs. Like, you have four lines of guys that could all pick the top corner. And to me, I felt like that part of the position has changed where, you know what? People have to give the goalie a little bit of slack. There's always going to be one that doesn't look good because it's hard enough to stop these guys' shots and they're taking away the equipment. The guys shoot harder. They got better sticks than they used to. I just feel like, you know, the goalie's under fire for a lot of things. It, 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 I, I agree with you, Russ. I feel like there's a lot of pressure on the goalies nowadays. Um, I think the chances, the quality of chances, to me, it feels like they've gone up. Um, and it's probably why we're seeing the numbers go down as far as what's the right number to play a starting goaltender because uh, the parity in the league night after night, you don't have those four, five, six, seven, eight teams. Although this year there's a couple of bottom feeders, but, um, but by and large, it's not like you got a couple expansion teams. Like when I came in, we had Atlanta, Nashville, Columbus. I mean, those are guaranteed two points for the Philadelphia Flyers going into any of those buildings. You know what I mean? So, uh, but it doesn't happen that way anymore. So now look, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of eyes on the goaltender, a lot of pressure, the only goals that you see now that you kind of you, you say, geez, that's a bad one is where, you know, they're in the reverse VH and it gets banked off their side or they shoot it above their ear. But I mean, look, the, the goalies are playing percentages on those plays. You know, the, that's a calculated move by the goaltender. It's not so much that I'd say you'd like to have it back. Yeah, there's some where the guy misses it and, uh, you know, they, they botch it up, but it doesn't happen a ton like you used to see in the past. I feel like the goalies today, Although we may not have that, you know, there might not be 10 elite, elite, elite goalies, but they're, they're all, I feel like all the starters in the National Hockey League are very, very good. You know, there's no yeah. real bad goalies in the National Hockey League. Yeah, and you know, right. the and, thing about and, the RVH actually, too, real quick, Russ, is that 
Go ahead. For, for every one of those goals that goes in, Boosh, like by the ear because you're leaving that porch open, uh, th- there's 15 saves that look routine because of that technique, right. you know? So th- that's yeah, the one thing they, that people don't go, realize. Yeah, and, and they certainly go unnoticed, right? But, yep. you know, in, in, the v, in the VH where, you know, the other leg is up and, and the other leg is down, you know, the five hole gets exposed and, you know, go back and watch some video. There's some goals where you, you just get leaning a little bit or you open up that middle, you're not able to seal it, goes underneath the stick, and it's a real stinker of a goal. So, yeah, where you where you, you gain on one end, there's a positive on the uh, – there's a negative on the other. Uh, well, look at the know. Michael Layton goal, game six against the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. It was a VH. Yeah. Yeah, but you say, all right, uh, no, was, he was, no, he was, no, he was reverse VH. And well, I guess it, I don't even know if you'd technically call that a reverse VH. His his right pad was going up against the post on that on that right post. You know, yeah, on I mean? his blocker side, was, yeah. On his blocker side, I mean, I I think he had the right idea there. Um, I, I just never, don't think I never he, got, he got down quick it. enough. Yeah, he never, never got the left pad down. I know some some writers in this town blamed them for it i didn't nobody saw that shot i was covering it i was watching it nobody saw that shot except patrick kane and he knew it was a goal nobody else even knew it was a goal like, well, let's be realistic about that well yeah yeah he he tried to reverse vh and his right pad tried to you know went down on the blocker side and the only other thing that you maybe you i don't even think he should have vh there like i thought that could have caused a leaky five hole goal i mean the only thing you do there is maybe you square up and say you know what I'm taking the shooter here, and if he if Kane comes comes and throws it back door to somebody in the back door for uh, a tapping goal, well, it's on my defender, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think I think Lates was trying to play two plays there. He's one, he's trying to play the shot, but also guard against a pass across the crease because you know he made that tight move on Teeman in there on, on on the half wall, and he was coming out on the bottom of the on the bottom of the circle and. You know, as a goaltender, like, look, I mean, that's a that's a quick two on one right at the net. You gotta you gotta yeah. play two situations there, and he just unfortunately for Lates and for us, he just didn't get down and steal that that uh, low part of the ice uh, quick enough. All right, so where do you stand on the Koskinen goal from Hamilton? I know some people are saying <laughs> the head the head fake did it. <laughs> I'm not sure the head fake did it. I'm just not sure how it went in, but we don't see too many of those go in. No, that's just, you know, like Koskinen just getting a little uh, excited there on the dump in, right? I mean, okay. you want to get out there and you want to you wanna help your defenseman as much as possible and get to rims. But if a guy's winding up, uh, you know, sometimes you just want to like you, – you just stay in your net and just direct where it's going. You know what I mean? Like if it's, it's – yeah. one thing if it's like, a, a you know, a wrister that's going in. But when you see a guy winding up like that, I mean, most – more times than not, it's going to be a real hard rim. Are you really going to get to that puck? Uh, or in the glass, too, yeah. Or in the glass, are you really going to get to that puck? I mean, most right. more times than not, what's going to happen is you might get a piece of it, or, you know, you run the risk of a, a headsy play there by by, by Hamilton. So, um, I just think he'll, he learned his lesson. Let's put it that way. I, I can guarantee you he's not going to make that same move, uh, Koskinen, <laughs> uh, for the rest of the season. You, when you get burned like that, that's when you learn. Hey, Boo, that's a bad goal, right? So, and every goalie has given up some bad goals, right? Um, but let me ask you this. You know how the kids all nowadays use the uh, greater than or less than sign on Twitter? Right. Um, yeah. If I go the Rask uh, hand blocker save where he literally uses – doesn't have a stick in his hand and makes the save with his hand. Yeah. Really dangerous. Is greater than that flurry save earlier this year. But the Brian Boucher twisting backwards save is greater than both. 
Would you agree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. I like that because because I was able to flip the mask off too, right? Yeah, uh, you get st- style points for that. Um, <laughs> that was Hashikesk. I know, I know. Uh, how about those two saves, though? I mean, seriously, they were how, how yeah. far apart were they? Like a week? Yeah, not even. Were I think they, it was six how, days. Yeah. I, I thought the save by Flurry might have been the greatest save I ever saw. And, and then the one by Rask, you're right, because he drops his stick and he catches it with his blocker hand. That is just, I mean, mind-boggling. You know, he's lucky. It is. I mean, he doesn't break a finger doing that because oh. that, you know, that hurts on the palm like that. Oh, my goodness. All right, so, Brian, let, let, let's end another debate. So, it, I would say for the last two years, 60% of the Rangers fan base would love to ship out Henrik Lundqvist. And I, I've covered him his whole career. I, I've watched him. I've watched him in Olympics. So I've watched him in a lot of different ways. I thought, you know what, these last couple of years, if he had better defense, the way he's been starting out the season, he looks really good for a guy his age. Like, there's very little age showing on him. I still feel like that's the way. But yet there are fans that just want to push him out. How do you feel Henrik Lundqvist is playing at this age? I, see, I think he's he's lost a step. Um, I think he still has the ability to, to give you A-plus starts. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I don't think he has it in the tank to give it to you the way he used to for 60-plus games and, and carry the workload like he used to. Sure. So that, that's, that's, where I yeah. think, that's where I think the age is catching up to him. And I think you see some dips and some inconsistencies in his play because of look, I mean, they're 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 not they're not the same defensive team, or you know, they're the same team in general. So a lot of the pressure is on him, um, and the timing is that he's getting a little bit older. Uh, as far as the fan base wanting to ship him out, I think that ship has sailed. I think that was about two years ago when maybe they yeah. could have gotten something in return for for Lundqvist. I think now, if you probably talk to most scouts or general managers, they probably would share the same. Um, you know, uh, sentiment that I have about him. I, I don't know if Henrik Lundqvist would be an upgrade to any of the starting goaltenders in the National Hockey League today. Uh, on a maybe San Jose. I, yeah, maybe San Jose. Okay, fair enough. That's, that, that's a good point. Um, but, you know, he's going to need somebody to help him out there too. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't right. think you can just throw him in there and say, hey, we need you to play 90% of the games the rest of the way. Oh, and hey, play two months in the playoffs too I just don't think it's the same Henrik Lundqvist but if you go back two years Jason now that I think of it I, you know correct me if I'm wrong I mean when they went to the Stanley Cup finals you know Jones was playing pretty well I don't know well, that we could have he was I don't, I don't I don't know if we could have forecasted you know this type of drop off in his play up to this point um so and their defense maybe, was better their defense was a lot better back then yep. yeah yeah yeah, so I mean, I, I, I look. The fans want to trade him. It's ne- it's never going to happen. Now, I think the, the the interesting, you know, part in that situation is uh, how do they handle this situation? I mean, they've got Georgiev, who you know shows you know some promise. Shosturkin uh, looks like he's doing a fantastic job in the American. They're gonna have to get Shosturkin up here to see they what do. he can do at the N- to get see what he can do at the NHL level. One of those guys you would think might even be a trade ship. I mean, if if yeah, they have to trade out the deal. They have to yeah. trade Georgiev because Shesterkin's the guy they're looking at for the future, and he probably doesn't want to stay in the AHL forever. And so right, he, right now, Georgiev, I think, only has one or two more games that he could play before you could send him down, and he'd have to go through waivers to come back up. So I think, I think you're right, to, yeah. Yeah, so they're either going to have to sit him, send him down for the end of the season, and then trade him before the draft, 
I think you trade him while he's hot right now. That's what I think. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you uh, on that. And maybe, I mean, maybe that's a place for him to go. You know, you think of San Jose. I mean, maybe that's yeah. a, a spot where they take a risk on a guy that they think could turn out to be a number one. I mean, it's not a guarantee, you know, and that's the other thing too, right? You, 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 you trade for a guy that he's shown flashes of being a potential number one, but what you don't know is how does he handle it when he's got all this, you know, this road ahead of him and yep. guys, guys can play for a 10 game stretch when they know they got a guy that can help them out as a partner, you know, and take the, take the workload off. It's when you've got an 82 game slate and now you've got to go out there and, and give your team 60 starts. And, and then after that, get to the play. That's the tough part. Even for myself, like I never could do it because I always, I, I got ahead of myself and, and, you know, and just mentally couldn't master that side of it. But if you said, Hey, Hey, Bush, we've got our goal, you know, our starters out 15, 20 games. We need you. I could do that. that. That's a small area of time. I could do it. Playoffs, I could do it. But for whatever reason, at an 82-game schedule, uh, for me, that was not a skill that I could master and probably one of the regrets that I have in my career. Um, but maybe Georgiev is that guy. We shall see. Yeah, we, well, we, saw, we saw it with the Rangers and Cam Talbot. And you and I have discussed Cam Talbot before, Boosh, and, and our you and I are different mindsets of – what he can be at the NHL level if somebody believes in him. Yeah. And I look, I, I, um, I didn't see it when he was in Hartford because I had played against him uh, in the American league. I didn't think, I, I didn't think he was the number one guy, but then he won me over uh, in Edmonton. I mean, that year that he played, what he played 73 games. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, yeah I mean, I, I, I said, wow, this is, and he, and then he lost his game. He, you know what I mean? It, it, it went away on him. So, now I think at best this guy is a is a one B, um, but more likely a number two. You know what I mean? He, right, there's so, a guy that there's a guy that his mind has to shift and accept that yeah. role in order to have the longevity that maybe a, a Curtis McElhenney has had. All right, so that brings me to the other age old thing where Benoit Lair has been with the Rangers forever and has gotten great results at a goalie. I always bring up the Steve Valakett story because when he got traded over, Steve didn't have the greatest reputation, and then he became a Flyers killer. If you remember, he was beating the Flyers every game. And I kind of wonder, Talbot also got really hot under him, and does he give the confidence to these guys that maybe just had the tools but needed it, but then when they leave, they have a different goalie coach, and sometimes when the message is different, they lose it? I mean, that, that, that could very well be the case. Uh, I, I mean, I've had that situation where I was just comfortable working with certain guys and uh, their approach just seemed to work with me and everybody's different. Right. And, you know, yeah. th there are some, listen, there are some cases where Benny Allaire, uh, it didn't work for certain guys either. Uh, so not everybody right. that he's coached, it's worked out well for them. Um, but, uh, everybody, everybody uh, has a different style. Everybody has a different way of uh, a different approach. Uh, maybe, maybe sometimes it's the head coach. Maybe, you know, some, you know, sometimes you get to a team and the head coach is hard on the goalie. You know what I mean? And you need right. the, the goalie coach to be an advocate for you, to be a go-between, to help you know calm the head coach down and not hey, don't be so hard on this guy. You know what I mean? Like. It's, you know, because at the end of the day, you need the goaltender and, and, but the goalies yeah. feel it. Like they, they know if, they know if a guy doesn't believe in, them, you know what I mean? And that, that can be 
that can be taxing on a guy. So yeah, you get to his one place it works, other places it doesn't work. And, you know, for Talbot, I still think he's an NHL goaltender. I just think he's got to find a spot where he can accept his role and kind of feel confident about himself, get his game back. And it's a, you, you can lose confidence quick, but to gain it back, it takes time. Yeah. And that, that's funny too, because you look at like a guy like Steve Mason that was here, he was never able to transition into that backup role. And now he's out of the mm-hmm. league boosh and making no money. And then you have a guy like Brian Elliott who has accepted that role with a young goaltender. And when Elliott's gotten in there this year, he's been really good for the Flyers. Yeah, he really has. And I, that's why when I speak of Brian Elliott, like I got a ton of respect for Brian Elliott. I mean, drafted in, in the ninth round, had to do it the hard way. Uh, you know, he's, he's kind of like been a chameleon. He's gone from one to two to, you know, one, a one B and the guy's a pro. I mean, he really is. He's found a way to, you know, grind out a real good NHL career. And, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And like you said, I mean, look, it's your choice. I mean, if you've made enough money as a number one, say, you know, gosh, maybe you made 35 million in your career and you're like, you know what? I'm good. I'm out of here. I don't feel like, I don't feel like grinding it out. I don't feel like, you know, changing who I am or what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go on to something else. I got other interests. Okay. Well, God bless you. You know what I mean? But if you want to have a a long career and you want to hang in there and, and, and be around the sport and continue to, you know, use this, you, you know, have this as a profession, there's going to be a time where unless you're Henrik Lundqvist, right, or Carey Price, where you're going to have to morph into something else. And, uh, you know, that's the toughest part. And part of it is the ego. You know, they, they look at themselves as being the number one guys and being the stars of the team. And that can be a tough pill to swallow for some people. But for other guys, if they're not, if it's not about their ego, they can park it aside and say, you know what, I'm all good with it. Play me when you want to play me. I'm going to work at practice. I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take uh, enjoyment out of helping this young kid or whoever else my my partner is, and and you can get yourself a nice long career so long as you win games. Hey, Bush, last so question. Under- oh, sorry, Russ. I okay, just, we got to wrap. I have one, gonna... and then you go one. Yeah. Well, go. You go ahead. Now. Is... Yeah. Okay. So, Bush, you'll like this. I interviewed Jamie Store once, and it goes along with what you said. I had asked him, what keeps you going? Why do you keep playing overseas? Because he was playing in the DEL at the time. And he goes, I needed to put another wing on my house. So <laughs> I went back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, and again, if you've made $35 million, maybe you don't need to do that. But uh, I can tell you, for me personally, I didn't, I didn't make that kind of money. So that maybe that's the motivation, <laughs> all the motivation you need is that, look, you know, you got to support a family and – you know you're not going to make this kind of money uh, ever again unless you become a successful businessman or win the lottery. So you may as well, uh, you know, play to your strength, which is being an athlete and being a goalie. All right, Boosh, last question for you. Um, out of all the years you played, and you, and you played in the league a long time, you crossed a couple of different generations, not only of goaltending, but, I mean, you got to – you started your pro career back in 97, 98, and you eventually wrapped up in 2014. Who was the guy that when you looked down at the other crease that you wanted to beat the most or that you had the most respect for, or when you knew that you were going against team a and he was in net that you got up for? It's a good question. Um, probably the guy that I, I mean, there's three people that come to mind and I don't even know how to answer that question, but three people, Martin Brodeur, Patrick Waugh, and Dominic Hasek, those, those three guys, I mean, uh, they grabbed your attention and, yeah. um, 
Mount Rushmore's. I, <laughs> I probably saw I probably saw Brodeur the most uh, at the other end just because we were in the same division. But yeah. truth be told, Patrick Patrick was my idol growing up, um, and I'll never forget the first game I played against him. He was stretching at center ice on the other side, and I, and I just remember staring at him the whole time while he was stretching, and I and I realized that I hadn't stretched, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I better like. I was so like, I mean, I had posters of him in my room as a kid. I was a big Canadians <laughs> fan, and you know, I just, uh, I was just, I couldn't believe it. It was my my aha moment that I I was really here, and I don't think I ever beat him. Maybe I tied him once. Um, I don't think I ever beat him, but uh, so that he was one, and then the other one's Hashik. I mean, Hashik, I, I felt like every time I played against him, his team wasn't as good as our team, but he made his team just as good as ours because he was so impossible to beat. And uh, so for that, you know, he might've gotten 48 shots against uh, playing against the flyers and I would get 20 yet. The score was tight and I knew that I couldn't make a mistake. So the pressure was really on to be next to perfect when you played against them. All right, Pooch, I said that was the last question. I have one more. Where's all your masks? <laughs> um, well, I, right now they're, they're, uh, well, they're in, some of them are in store. Some of them are in storage, and some of them, when I say storage, they're in bins uh, in my house, and others are, are up. I don't. I always said I wanted to make a nice office and have my jerseys and and, and masks and all that, but what I didn't realize is how much room that actually takes. So, or maybe <laughs> it's because I played on so many so many damn teams that um, I need a bigger office. Uh, so I haven't really gotten to that point where I've I've got it all up. Um, Hopefully someday I can figure that out. Yeah, the masks are one of the reasons why people love the goaltending position. Why we celebrate it, and we celebrate you coming on, Boosh. You're doing a great job on NBC Between the Benches, man. Are you enjoying it? I love it. Uh, I really do, uh, especially when you have a game like we had last night between Boston and Washington. That felt like a playoff game. I mean, it was everybody talks about the skill and speed of the NHL today, but I, I, I still like the, uh, the old-school you know, element of it with the with the physicality and maybe an odd tussle here and there. Uh, that game had it all last night, um, so I enjoy being around it in that regard. Uh, I do miss I do miss being a part of a you know. And then look, I, I'm with a production team. It's a team, right? Because you know we got to bring bring forth a, a broadcast every night. But I mean, I miss the part of wins and losses with uh, with a group of guys. That's the one part of uh, hockey that I do miss. But I certainly feel uh, fortunate and grateful to be to be in the sport still and doing it, you know, doing TV and not getting beat up over uh, over a game where I give up six shot six goals on twenty five <laughs> shots and I gotta I gotta talk to you guys after the game, you know. So it's nice <laughs> nice to have that off my plate. Well, Boosh, you got a, a perfect save percentage this year, brother. We appreciate you doing <laughs> this, and we'll definitely talk to you again soon. Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, there he is, Brian Boucher. What what an episode this has been, Rush. It's Some really great guests. I, I love it. I, I I I've always geeked out about goalies. I've always liked writing about goalies, like talking to them. I will talk to goalies in the locker room if I go to a practice. I, I just I, I love the position. There's so much mystique about it. There's a lot of mental game. There's a lot of everything. It's just it's fun. I, I love when you know, like the other day, Tuka Rask. And he said he was kidding around, was, That's you know, great. destroying the stick. Uh, and then even Boucher on, on NBC said he actually threw out his shoulder doing that. Yeah. So <laughs> for real, for real. 
So then he stopped, you know? So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that, that they, you know, the temper in that position, I get it. Cause you got guys hacking at you at some point you just lose it. And so a lot of goalies do have that hot temper. It is what's odd is when you find the goal, the goalie that just seems normal. Unfortunately, that is the odd thing. And you're yeah. not normal either. So you're, I'm not <laughs> using you as the example. Well, you know, and I meant to ask Bush about this because one of the traits uh, of goalies off the ice is that they become OCD. And it's yeah. beca- And I think it's because, and I've talked to a lot of guys at different levels and asked them about this. And it's because of what, when you play that position, like as an athlete, you want to control everything, but as a goalie, you can control nothing. So when you're right. not playing, you want to control everything else. Like you right. freak out. Like that's, I think that's part of why Carter Hart is so rigid in his preparation because he can control all those elements. He can't can, once you get on the ice, you have very little control. It's a reactive position. So I'm sure we'll hear from goalies that uh, listen to this episode and go do it on the same way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we will. I mean, I, the most normal goalie right now in the NHL is actually Braden Holby. He'll actually talk to you on a game day. He'll hang out in the locker room. None of, nothing seems to bother him ever since he's, you know, done the, uh, the pregame ritual that he does where he envisions everything. Ever since then, he's the most normal goalie in the league. Yep, and he also worked with John Stevenson, who worked with Carter Hart as his uh, performance yep. coach. Yep. All, right, all right, Russ, that's a bow on episode 63, the goaltending episode. May have to do another one of these next week, a goaltending one. <laughs> Not next week. Okay. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Enjoy your hockey, and we'll talk to you next time on the Stick to Hockey Podcast. Begin.